Hi, this is my dad's podcast, Power Time. What's up, Power Players? Welcome back to the Power Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Tate, and this is a special DLC episode of the podcast. I'm going to cut right to the chase so we can get into today's interview. And I'm really excited to bring this to you. This is an unedited, well, it's a slightly edited interview with the one and only Salvatore Payne. Sal was our guest expert commentator on the last episode, which uh, featured volume 20 of Nintendo Power, which of course was the Mega Man 3 issue. Sal was born and raised in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is actually, it's about two hours from where I live currently and also where I grew up. So I'm pretty familiar with that area. So it was an absolute pleasure to be able to kind of chat with a fellow Pennsylvanian. I, I like to imagine we had a lot of similar experiences growing up in uh, similar parts of the world. Uh, we share a few other things in common, uh, including our love of the Mega Man series, especially Mega Man 3. Uh, this was a game that Sal literally wrote the book on, and you can and should check that out at Boss Fight Books. Uh, it is Boss Fight Books' exploration of Mega Man 3. They put out a lot of great content. Uh, this is one of the few Boss Fight Books that I read all the way through, and I really appreciated it and enjoyed it. Uh, as authored by Sal... Uh, it is quite enjoyable. It digs deep into the history of the game, and it also talks a lot about the nostalgia uh, in video game culture, and also it talks about video game collecting, which is something that I've been tempted to dip my toes into many times, and I've resisted the urge. Uh, I actually hope that I can uh, have another conversation with Sal in the future on Power Time just to talk specifically about collecting because I think it's uh, super interesting as a hobby uh, and also as a culture. Sal is also an accomplished fiction author. You can check out his novel, Last Call in the City of Bridges. It was published by Braddock Avenue Books. I'm going to have links for all this stuff in the show notes. And as you'll also hear in in this uh, particular interview, Sal is also a professor of English and new media. He actually teaches college-level courses on video games. Uh, Super fascinating stuff. We talk Mega Man. We talk Nostalgia. Uh, We talk viewing video games through the lens of academia, and we talk a lot more in this brief interview. I hope that you enjoyed and stick around for a few quick announcements uh, after the interview. And I'll really just kick off the interview with kind of a, a question about how the boss fight projects come about. I'm really curious, like, how did you end up with Mega Man 3 as the topic? Did you choose that? Or was it, you know, in conversation with, is it Gabe over there who who runs boss fight books? Like, how did you end up with this particular project? Sure. It's really a kind of a, a crazy story. It's kind of convoluted where um, I pitched Gabe a book. I really wanted to do a boss fight book. Uh, I had read the first two seasons and I had um, pledged to the first two seasons, but I didn't think I really had anything to say about video games. But then uh, I started writing more about them and kind of thinking more deeply about them than I had in the past. So I had this idea about uh, video game collecting. I really wanted to write about that whole world because 
you know, in, in the book, it still has this where I'm part of that world. I, I'm trying to get a complete NES set. It's going very poorly at the moment. I'm kind of stalled out. Sure. Uh, but I go to the, the stores and the flea markets and the conventions and I'm on message boards and training with people. And I just thought there was something there about like why these people do these things and like what's driving them to it. So the game I pitched to them was actually Panic Restaurant, uh, which is a super rare and obscure title game that came out kind of late in the uh, system's lifespan. So I think it's around like 91 or 92 or maybe even 93. It's one of those final title games like Kickmaster. Um, so I pitched them that and Gabe got back to me and he had read, so I, th I think he had read my novel before. So he was aware of me as a writer. Sure. So he really, he was on board with me doing a book. He was on board about it being collecting, but you know, rightfully so like who's going to buy a book about panic restaurant <laughs> was his general argument. And was there really enough there to kind of populate a book. So we went back and forth for a while. You know, we, we threw out, I think maybe DuckTales was in there for a while. I think even Bonk's Adventure was tossed out. And then finally, I think it was Gabe that came up with the idea of Mega Man of, you know, do you have any connection to Mega Man? And if you think about it, it's all about collection, right? It's all about kind of uh, finding things that complete you. So immediately that theme made a lot of sense to me. And I did have this really personal connection to Mega Man 3 because this is in the book. And this issue of Nintendo Power is probably my favorite issue of Nintendo Power ever. And it was the first one I got. So it was the first one I subscribed to and it just stayed with me all those years. And I, I just wanted it so badly after just reading the pages and just tracing my fingers through the little maps and all that kind of stuff. So we agreed on Mega Man 3. And, you know, what I kind of stumbled upon was that the story behind the development was so much more interesting uh, then my idea about game collecting that slowly over draft upon draft, that stuff kind of went away. It's still in the book, but I wouldn't say it's the central focus of the book. It becomes more about kind of the story behind the scenes. That's a perfect segue into the next question. So I'm really curious, you know, in your opinion, I've, I've discovered so many interesting tidbits of information about Mega Man 3's development and release. Uh, I think the biggest one for me was that uh, I've always... I've always uh, associated with Inafune as kind of the godfather of Mega Man, but I've learned so sure. much that he was not necessarily the head the, the head of the game. And I, that was surprising to me. So I'm curious, you know, is there any other surprising pieces that you've uncovered uh, that you would definitely want to share with the Power Time audience about Mega Man 3's development? Yeah, it, it really is a shocking story. And the whole thing is in Mega Man 3, the, the book. So if you're interested in that, you should check out the book. But like generally, yeah, uh, Akira Kitamura is really the creator of Mega Man. But that is a name that's not really well known in the States. It's definitely Keiji Inafune. That's who I always thought was behind the series. I thought he was the Shigeru Miyamoto of Mega Man. Sure. But that's not really the case. Um, he's closer to, I'm blanking on his name now, I think Igarashi, the guy who kind of helmed Castlevania for uh, many years. Um, but wasn't maybe there at the start of the series. Uh, so Inafune was there on Mega Man 1, but he was brought in after development had already kind of started, uh, planning had already started. So the character existed. Um, it was designed by this guy named Kitamura, and then he kind of had a lot of very concrete ideas about how Mega Man 1 and 2 should play. And he left after Mega Man 2 because he felt that he wasn't getting enough credit. He couldn't put, you know, Mega Man 1 and 2, when you beat them, there's only pseudonyms that come down in the credits, right? So he wanted credit, so he formed his own uh, game studio where he put his name front and center. And the game they put out was Kokoron, which I highly recommend. It's a, it's a Famicom game, but I have the Famicom one, and you, you can emulate it really easily. It feels like a shadow version of Mega Man 3, so okay. it's totally awesome to play. Um, but then they didn't hand over Mega Man 3 to Inafune immediately, even though he had been there. They handed it over to this other guy, Kurokawa, 
and he mysteriously quit halfway through the process. And no one is, no one really knows why, and nobody will really say why. And Ifune has maybe taken a few shots over the years uh, as time has gone by, but we're, we don't really know. So then halfway through, and Ifune gets the project, they rush it out the door. And that's kind of what's interesting to me about it because. As a kid, it just felt like the perfect version of Mega Man, like the crystallization of everything from one and two. But apparently it was just a, a completely troubled development process. And, you know, they weren't even sure if they were going to get it out in time. It's kind of crazy, too, in contrast to Mega Man 2's development, which was kind of a passion project. Because yes. as you as you wrote in the book, uh, Mega Man 2 was kind of an after hours uh, type of type of adventure or venture for the team. So I you would think given the green light for Mega Man three, there would be a lot more freedom for them to explore things that they couldn't do in the limited time that they had with two. Uh, but yeah, it, it's definitely an awesome story. Uh, I'll absolutely recommend on the final cut of the show that people check out the book, uh, because of things like that. Um, the power yeah. Rangers comparison too, uh, I thought was interesting yes. that, uh, it was drawing from those, uh, what is it? Ranger, uh, series. Yeah. The com- the common Ranger. So the, the one on the motorcycle, that guy, if you've yeah. ever seen that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I never put that together, you know, from playing the games, but after, no. reading, after reading that, you can start to see with the colored, uh, the colored suits that Mega Man would don. Yeah. It definitely starts to make more sense. Yeah. It was so surprising to me too, because like you, I would have never thought that this was drawing kind of inspiration from, from power Rangers or any of those type of series or anything. So it really was kind of a striking, um, discovery. And then it does make sense, right? Once you kind of know that and you're looking for it, it totally makes sense. And how Proto Man works and all that kind of stuff fits in completely with those narratives. And I want to touch base on the Nintendo Power issue itself, uh, because I think yes. I think we've had a, you and I have had a very similar experience with this particular issue, uh, because this was also my first issue that I, oh, wow. that I subscribed to. Um, so I remember my next door neighbor was a huge NES fan. And, uh, that's actually where I played most of my early games was borrowing, uh, game packs from him. And he had all the Nintendo power issues leading up to this. And I, I do think that it was through my Roman Catholic elementary school, uh, that I was introduced uh, oh, wow. to Nintendo power as a, as a, a thing that I could also own, you know, and the idea that I would have something sent to me monthly was super exciting. Um, so I managed to convince my parents, like, you know, this is something that will help me read more, uh, which, you know, wasn't a huge issue, but I, I definitely remember this being my first, uh, actual issue that was mailed to my house. It's full of a lot of throwaway titles that are not interesting at all. Um, you know, like I think Mega Man three is definitely the standalone. Uh, cause I think deja vu is in this issue. Um, mm-hmm. a, a couple the of immortal. Other, yeah. The immortal, a bunch of random, uh, yeah. Random games, you know. Clearly, uh, Mega Man Three was was kind of the premier game. Yeah, but although I, Gremlins Two, Gremlins Two is pretty good. Yes, yes, Gremlins Two is a fantastic game. Uh, all yeah. those Sunsoft games were were great. Oh, my question is kind of it. It kind of speaks to what your book touches upon, which is this idea of nostalgia and how I want to say our generation, but really a couple of generations combined, our desire to kind of preserve these games with legacy collections, content like my podcast and other podcasts, other shows, YouTube series. But I'm curious in your opinion, you know, what do you think our bond would be like with these classic games if there was no Nintendo Power, no uh, Worlds of Power novelizations, no Saturday morning cartoons? Like how much do you think the extra stuff contributed to um, this connection that we've created with these old games? Oh, I think it contributed a lot, right? Because I mean, think of, 
what we were just talking about is, is just having more context for Mega Man 3 makes it kind of a more enriching experience to play. And the same was true when we were kids, right? Like just having the magazine and knowing a little bit more about the games made it that much more fun to play, but also kind of clued you in into what was happening. Um, and other games that were coming out and things like that, things you would have never known about, or I certainly would have known about, I'm sure it was similar for you where you'd get like two or three games a year. Right. So you're, you kind of just picking blindly, like you don't know what these things look like other than what you see in Nintendo power or in commercials. Um, so I think it really did make a big difference. And then you can see the progression, right. From Nintendo power to electronic gaming monthly. And then to even less sites like Kotaku or IGN or GameSpot up into like Boss Fight Books. And I think there's a real kind of clear through line, right, where each kind of iteration takes gaming a little more seriously. So I think without Nintendo Power, things like that, I think it would have taken a lot longer to get to where we're at now, sure. which is admittedly still not perfect in terms of where writing is in relation to games. But it's but it's better than I think it would have been without Nintendo Power. Yeah, and that's actually interesting because you are uh, in academia. So I'm yes. I'm curious, you know, what are some of the exciting things that you're seeing in terms of game criticism today? Uh, you know, certainly being taken more seriously and, and being approached in new ways. Uh, what are some of the cool things that you're seeing there? Uh, and it's kind of marriage with academia and, and being introduced into classrooms and things like that. Well, I, I teach a video game course right now, and it's so great because that would have been uh, unthinkable when I was a college student. For which- sure you know, it was only, you know, maybe 15 years ago or, or something like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago, but, you know, so I teach this class called the critical discourse of video games and it's an English class. And it's, it's just so great that, uh, English departments nationally are starting to absorb games as culturally meaningful objects, right? Just like books and just like movies, just like they incorporated film studies and that kind of thing. So we're just looking at games and we're looking at the mechanics and the narrative and, uh, like the, the flow that students have through them. And then, you know, we're reading writers like Ian Bogost and, and more academic writers, but also people like Tom Bissell. And okay. I've taught some of the boss fight books too. You know, I think they fit in really well. And then what's really exciting to me is to see the students then try and mimic that writing, you know? So right now my students are doing a paper about like the Stanley parable, right? So it's cool for them to see them kind of like grapple with something that is maybe a little more conceptually difficult than, than Call of Duty or NBA 2K, which I love those games too. Um, but they're, you know, maybe not used to things like the Stanley Parable. So I think we're also kind of like grooming the next generation to already sure. be thinking about games more seriously, certainly than I was at that time, um, which is really cool. Yeah, that that's, that's pretty exciting. I remember in college, I took a, a class on the uh, Hollywood cartoon um, oh, wow. the history of cartoons. And it was taught by this, this guy who was like a uh, Harvard PhD. Um, you know, like he was super intellectual and uh, he was a fantastic writer and he forced us to approach like old cartoons, like Gertie, the dinosaur, yeah. uh, little Nemo, like all the early ones, uh, in brand new ways. Uh, and yeah. I, I would imagine that, you know, introducing games in that way, uh, it, it has the same challenge where you know, students will see it and be like, Oh, a class about video games. I'm definitely taking that. And then once, once you're in it, you know, you're kind of challenged to really start approaching the medium in a completely different way, which is really awesome. Uh, so props to you for for doing that. And hopefully you can continue to do that. Um, you know, Karen college or, you know, wherever you end up. Um, yeah, hopefully I want to talk to you about, you know, one, I have a few final questions. Uh, one is, is kind of a big debate. Um, it's been a debate, throughout the years and that's ranking the Mega Mans. Uh, you see a lot oh. of people try to do this. I think it pops up on Reddit every, you know, six weeks. Um, 
Mega Man 2 is usually always on the top, um, mm-hmm. and it seems to be the critical favorite. I'm in Camp Mega Man 3, uh, personally, and I think for a variety of reasons, many of which you covered in the book, uh, I think the introduction of the slide is one of the, the big reasons for me, but also because this was the first Mega Man I was introduced to. And I think when you start having those conversations, and you touch on this in the book, like that plays a big role uh, in what your favorite might be. Uh, but you don't really see this debate with other games. Like, I don't see gamers debating what's better, Ninja Gaiden 2 or 3 or Castlevania mm-hmm. 2 or 3, the same way that they debate Mega Man 2 versus Mega Man 3. So why do you think, you know, that this debate might be so heated? You know, I always kind of thought it was because a lot of other franchises feel so different across installments, right? Like, if you're going to argue what's the best Mario game, you know, they kind of retain similar mechanics, but there's like Super Mario Galaxy. Yeah, it's so different than Super Mario World or Super Mario 2. It's like, how can you really compare these things? But then you bring up Ninja Gaiden in Castlevania, and those, that's a pretty good point of like, well, Ninja Gaiden 1 through 3 are basically feel really similar, and Castlevania 1 and 3 feel really similar. I wonder if in those franchises, like, there's clear cut, like, Castlevania 1 and 3 are clearly probably superior to, to 2, even if I, even if people defend 2. And with Ninja Gaiden, it's probably one and two are, are the best. But with Mega Man, I think you really could make a case for any anything from two through six. I think it's harder to do it with five and six, but I think two through four especially are really close. And I kind of do touch on this in the book, but I really do feel it's like whatever one hit you first is the one that generally you gravitate to. And it's just that like two and three came out before the Super Nintendo. So that's why most people, sure. you know, got that one and one didn't sell as well as two is two and three because four you can I think you really could make a case for four because it has the it has a slide, but it also has the charge shot. I guess, you know, I guess my hypothesis here, I, this is a great question because I have thought about this, is maybe it's just because they are all so close. They're all so identical and there's so many of them. Sure. So it's not even just like between Castlevania one and three. But it's between six very closely related games where even the structure is, is similar. What do you think? Why do you think that happens? Because you're right, because Final Fantasy kind of has that, but even they feel like, you know, if you're looking at 15 and then you're looking at four, that's a pretty big gap between what those are anyway, you know? Well, I, you know, you touch on this in the book too. I think it, it also is because narrative is such an afterthought in, yeah. in some of the earlier Mega Mans, um, you know, and Mega Man four, five, six, like the stories are so ridiculous um, that I I don't necessarily think that they um, lend itself to them being personal favorites. Although many people do, I'm sure, uh, love those games over uh, one, two, and three. But I I think for for me, maybe it's because narrative is such an afterthought, you know, and the mechanics are so similar that you really end up becoming attached to things like the music, uh, you know, things like the level design uh, because you spent, so much time playing that uh those particular games that's another thing too is these games were so hard you spent so many hours playing them so if two was your first you know you've spent tons and tons of hours probably more hours playing your first than the later ones because you've really started to master the mechanics um so if you master two playing through three is kind of a cakewalk um if you master three going back to two is challenging but you're you're not spending nearly as much time as if you picked up two for the first time i mean maybe no, that makes total sense to me. And, and even thinking about your examples, like Castlevania and Ninja Gaiden, they both have a heavier focus on story too, which makes sense. So you can, I mean, you can think of it and the, the different characters in Castlevania three, like there's more to kind of think about in terms of how they're different than, you know, the Mega Man games on NES. And I think especially four, five and six suffer because they came out after Mega Man X, right? So who's going to say that they're, that's their favorite Mega Man game when you could be playing Mega Man X 
even in the 90s at that same time. Yeah, and and there's actually a blurb in one of the Nintendo Power issues that I've been reading from the upcoming season of the show. And uh, they mentioned Mega Man 4 as potentially being uh, on the Super Nintendo. Um, so they, they, oh, have, they didn't yet decide, uh, or according to Nintendo Power, they didn't yet decide if the next entry, which then would have been 4, was going to be on the NES or the Super Nintendo, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so at some point, they must have made a decision to just continue uh, putting them out annually uh, while Mega Man X was in development uh, in tandem, right? Uh, I thought that was a really interesting thing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have uh, two quick questions. Uh, the first one sure. is, have you played any Mega Man 3 ROM hacks? I have not, but I've heard that there's quite a few that are pretty good. So I haven't played any of the ROM hacks, but I actually, I just wrote this thing for Kotaku about all of the, the Mega Man fan games that are happening right now. So I interviewed the guy behind Mega Maker, which is like the Super Mario Maker equivalent for Mega Man. And, and that is just tremendously fun. It's totally great. So if you haven't tried that, I highly recommend it. It sure. is really fun to run through people's levels and all that kind of stuff and build your own levels. And it kind of gives you a higher appreciation for like how, how easy it is to kind of make a Mega Man level fun. Uh, but I haven't played the actual ROM hack. So how are those? What's your experience through those? So I, I haven't played them yet, um, but I, I've I've uh, picked up a couple, um, downloaded mm-hmm. a few just to uh, try to get into them before I actually record this full episode. But there's cool. one that uh, is supposedly fixing some of the issues in Mega Man 3 uh, without, oh, wow. without necessarily uh, impacting the game too much. Um, so I, I have to, I'll send that over to you, uh, cause you might be yeah. interested in it if you haven't checked it out yet already. Um, but yeah, I was just curious if, if you got into that whole world, uh, because it seems that ROM hacks for the NES, specifically the Mega Man franchise are pretty popular. I haven't dove into that yet. Yeah, I haven't really explored too much of that world, but since this article has come out, there, there's just tons of comments in the article about like how I got to play this game and this game and this hack and this hack. So it's yeah. something I have to have to start i'm playing golf story on the nintendo switch right now so i have to finish that and then move to it (laughs) the nintendo switch is killing my productivity uh, and and my family and my family life my family is slowly starting to uh, disown me because of the amount of (laughs) mario plus rabbits i've been playing and golf story is is next on my list too oh it's very good good. it looks great uh so my final question um and maybe you just touched on this um are there any current gen games that you've played recently uh, or that you're looking forward to that you would recommend to retro gamers or diehard Mega Man fans? Oh, yeah. 20XX is the one, without okay. a doubt. So that is the uh, – it marries uh, Mega Man X with Spelunky. So it's it's really fun. It's really engaging. Uh, I wrote about that in the article, too. I just, I just thought that was great. Um, I, I really like that. There's so many games I play that are, are like, retro-inspired. Like, uh, Golf Story, obviously, is one. It's kind of like Earthbound and Mario Golf combined. Um Oh, uh, Rogue Legacy is great, where it's a, it's basically Spelunky and Castlevania combined. So that's that's really fun too. I want to play the new Metroid game, which is coming out on three, or which is out by now on 3DS. So got to get that. Oh, there, there's just so much stuff. It's it's kind of an embarrassment of riches uh, that we live in this time now, where there's just constant retro games coming out. Because when Mega Man Nine was released, I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. If we just get this one, I'll be just happy forever that we're just getting one more side-scrolling game. Yeah. And then just six years later, it's like there's a new one every week, and it's just been amazing as a fan. Yeah, I, I think uh, the release of Shovel Knight for me was like, okay, yes, like, we're, we're finally getting like really solid treatments of this aesthetic, this gaming aesthetic. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. Oh, 
Well, one more. Sure. Sonic Mania. Of course. How could I forget Sonic Mania? Because that is uh, just truly spectacular. Are you playing on Switch? I, yeah, I'm trying to play all the indie games on Switch is generally my strategy with that. Yeah, and, and it's it's such a great console for that yeah. type of gaming experience. Very cool. Awesome. Uh, anything else? Is there anything else uh, worth noting with Mega Man 3 that you think I, th- I should either uh, make sure that I include in the episode or anything you want to share with the listeners? No, just thanks for having me. Thanks for bringing me on the show. Really happy to be on. And, uh, you know, this is a great issue of Nintendo Power. There really is just so much awesome stuff. Or there, There's the Miracle. There's the Wozniak stuff. There's just so, the, the New Kids stuff. There's a lot of weird stuff in this issue, which I really like. I'm really excited uh, for this particular episode. I have a – there's a band in – I'm from right outside Philadelphia. And oh, okay. Well, I grew up in Scranton. Yeah, oh, so nice, nice. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, there's a band that uh, my cousin used to play with. And they covered the entire Mega Man 3 soundtrack uh, end, oh. end to end. Um, and they gave me permission to use the music in this episode. So like, I'm really excited to weave that throughout as well. So it's just very, very fun. Very cool. cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate yeah. it. All right. Yeah. Uh, talk soon. See you. Yeah. Have a good one. Thanks again to Sal for hanging out, and hopefully we can steal some more time to talk deeper about video game collecting. Power Time Podcast is brought to you proudly by listeners like you and your ongoing support by subscribing, listening, and leaving quick and honest reviews on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you did, please consider leaving a quick review and let me know what you think. Your honest review helps me to improve the show. Power Time is also brought to you by patrons like my mom. My mom doesn't even listen to the show. I'm still deciding on what to do uh, with Patreon and what Patreon tiers make sense for this particular community. If you're eager to throw a few dollars my way, you certainly can. You can head on over to patreon.com slash power time. But the absolute best way you can support the show right now is completely free. Simply share power time with a friend or family member or online community that you think might enjoy it. It's 100% free to share the show. You can also interact with me and the PowerTime community through Twitter by tweeting me at YoPowerTime, Y-O PowerTime. Hang out in the Discord channel at PowerTimePodcast.com slash Discord, where I occasionally share some fun screenshots and some discoveries as I'm researching new issues. And finally, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter and get access to a private Facebook group at PowerTimePodcast.com slash Unlocked. That's going to wrap up today's episode. I want to thank you as always for your time and attention. Stay tuned for the next episode, which should be launching on Thursday. It's going to be the Star Tropics issue of Nintendo Power. Very fascinating game. I'm excited to talk about it. And as always, keep on playing with power. <laughs>